this is Dan Wunderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. This is episode 11, and my very special guest is Rob Bell. At the end of the program, I'll let you know how you can send in your thoughts because I would love for you to be a part of our conversation. Well, here it is, my interview with Rob Bell. Well, today's guest is an author, a preacher, a podcaster, and a surfer. It is Rob Bell. Rob, thank you so much for being here. Ah, it's great to be with you. Well, I'm sure that just about everyone in our audience has heard of you, but there may be some folks that are saying he was that guy that wrote that book a couple years ago and then maybe haven't kept up with what you've been up to the last couple of years. <laughs> so uh, when, when you introduce yourself to folks that either don't know you or maybe folks that remember you from way back, uh, how do you share about what you've been doing the last couple of years? I've been having more fun than ever. I uh, write books and I do uh, one-man shows. Like I did a one called Everything is Spiritual this past summer. I took it to 31 cities around the country. And um, I have a residency at a club here in LA where I do um, a monthly show. And then I've been touring with the comedian Pete Holmes. We did a number of cities last year. And then I did a tour with Oprah. And then I have a weekly podcast, and uh, then I put out a novel last year, and then a new book called How to Be Here, and uh, that's a couple of things. Yeah, I love <laughs> yeah. it. So and, much fun. And now the the club where your where your residency is that that's Largo, correct? It yeah, Largo is like this extraordinary. Uh, the owner's name is Flanny, and he's from Belfast, and he has this extraordinary heart to like to cultivate, um, like a family. So Will Ferrell, Jack Black all sort of got their starts or, or were part of, uh, Largo. And on any given night, it might be Sarah Silverman, the bass player from Spinal Tap. Adam Sandler got on stage the other night. I saw Jeff Daniels do a set of songs there the other night. Wow. You just never know. Uh, it's just amazing. It's an amazing place to get to do, to do, what I do. So. Yeah, and, and then Rob Bell. And so how does, how does Rob Bell fit into the family at Largo? <laughs> You'd have to ask them. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's just great. It's great. I absolutely love to create things and share them with people. And I've, uh, I'm, I'm having more fun than ever doing it. So whether it's uh, like a one-man show or Pete Holmes and I doing uh, a show or it's a book or it's a sermon, um, I love giving sermons more than ever. I love the live experience of a bunch of people in a room and we're going to go somewhere together. Oh, it's just the best. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's just the best. Well, I have to say a, a huge thank you to you, actually. Uh, one of your Robcast episodes was the inspiration for the title of this show, Art of the Sermon. Um, I knew that I wanted to do a podcast on preaching, but I didn't have a name. And as you probably know, you are like the king of titles. You always have really interesting titles. Um, and, and in fact, I still remember uh, Enough Dirt for My Mule uh, was the title of one of your yeah. Mars Hill sermons. Oh, yeah. And that's one of the ones that I go back to uh, often as an example of a title that just that that draws you in. Yeah, yeah. And Art of the Sermon is a 5-hour film series I did on the art of the sermon. Oh, really? Memorizing and where content comes from and how structures work and emotional resonance and uh how to storyboard and the sort of quantum entanglement that happens in a room when you're preaching. I did this 5-hour uh film series on called Art of the Sermon about that exact thing. So I am right with you. 
That's uh, is that uh, uh, is that the same as poets, prophets, yeah, preachers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, a yeah. subtitle. Okay, I guess I should learn to read subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, back in October, you did an episode of the Robcast uh, that was called "The Lost Art," and uh, oh, and yeah. and in that episode, you shared about how the persons and teachings of Jesus have always been captivating to you. That of all the things. Uh, sort of surrounding Christianity and church and religion in general. It's Jesus and the way that Jesus interacted with folks and communicated with folks. That's what drew you in and made you want to be a part of a bigger conversation. And yet on the flip side of the coin, the stereotype of church and of preaching is is that it's boring and that it's dry. Um, so ha- can you talk a little bit about that contrast and, and how you see it and how you've lived in it for the last uh, however long you've been preaching? I don't, uh, I heard these Jesus stories when I was young and they absolutely captivated me. I I believed, I loved how when there was an in-group that had pushed somebody to the edges, Jesus always goes to the edges. And when there's somebody who no one is listening to, he hears their cry. I loved how he would answer a question with a question, um, so at, an, at, at a young age, I, I believed. Um, I found him utterly compelling. And as I discovered the sermon and gave my life to giving sermons, and as I began to explore just what a sermon even is, how it is, how you are creating space somewhere between the universal and the particular, you are telling a story, you are witnessing to the mountain that you have climbed, whatever that mountain is. Uh, I'm, I am more captivated than ever by this art form and it needs to be rediscovered. I've given my life to reclaiming this as this divine, holy, sacred, subversive, dangerous, beautiful, exotic, compelling art form that it is. Mm. So the fact that somebody somewhere would find that boring is completely irrelevant. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't, and I never found church world very interesting. My wife and I and some friends started a church simply because uh, I just saw it in a very different way. Um, so I just never uh, living in church world was never interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting to me was creating a space where people, human beings, could meet the Christ who comes in His full humanity to lead us into our full humanity. And, uh, so somebody somewhere who, who would think a sermon is boring. I don't know why you would sit through something you think is boring. It's just never been something that I, I didn't, I never sat. It's just not a part of my life. But what's part of my life was this vision of creating something that might even help people, but that would be pure joy along the way. So, uh, that's what I've been doing now for about 25 years and it just keeps getting more compelling and more interesting. And I keep getting... Uh, I probably give a sermon maybe once a year, once every two years in a church. Otherwise, the sermons that I give are all in places where, where people, uh, I just clubs, theaters, um, lots of times I'm the only Christian in the place and I couldn't love it more. Yeah. (laughs) 
You were at the Viper Room, right? I was at the Viper Room, yes. But, yeah, so yeah. that's what, uh, yeah, two days of the Viper Room. We just, you you were there. We go places. Yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, you, you shared the story uh, on one of your podcasts, and, and it's certainly one that I wrote down, and and we'll we just share it right now, the, the father and son artist, and the father talking about- Oh, yeah. Wasn't uh, that amazing? It was. It, it, he talked about being frustrated at times by the amount of attention and that he had to take away from his art- to raise his son, oh, uh, and yeah. yet now his son is an artist, and he said, if I had known that the attention I was pouring into him would multiply into art through my son, I would have been able to see it as an extension of my art. I mean, the whole room just, we were like, every preacher in here is going to use this within the next month. You just knew it. It's just one of those stories that oh, has life funny. and legs. That is funny. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that was a really, that was a, those are the, and to me, the power of like that space, that Viper room that we had for two days is things like that always happen. You never could plan that. You just, you just keep moving forward because you know, there are going to be these moments where everybody gets riding the same wave. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Well, I had the chance to see you on the Gods Aren't Angry tour, and I caught it in, in Orlando. I think it was like at the House of Blues. And what was yeah, interesting yeah. is that we got there early and we're hanging out at one of the, the restaurants around there. And you could there was a noticeable difference between the people that were coming there for you know, the night at the clubs. And then you could see sort of all the pastors and their church staffs showing up for the Rob Bell event. And now some of your tours and things are taking you even further outside where the audience is probably less and less pastors and church staffs. How, how has that shift um, sort of changed the way that you approach or how has it uh, given more light and, and vision to what you're doing? You know, I never thought about it. I don't think about it in terms of pastors or Christians or, or not. Um, although I guess I just did say something about that about five minutes earlier. Huh? Um, I, uh, I've always believed that at the heart of the Jesus story, it's about what it means to be human, that if it is rooted in Christ, then it is about our shared humanity and that this particular tradition will always transcend itself. Mm. Like, the teachings of Jesus are about what it means to be human. So if you're true to them, you will be bringing people hope in life and light and insight and wisdom about and solidarity about what it means to be human. So it will quickly leap over any boundaries you've cooked up. Mm. And I've just met so many people who are very vocal about how they're Christians, but didn't seem very Jesus-like at all. And so many people who would never refer to themselves as a Christian who were so Christ-like. Um, so I don't find those labels that helpful. Um, and what's always struck me, especially going out on tour, is when I meet people afterwards, how it's just the full spectrum of humanity you know what i mean yeah yeah obviously like you're saying there obviously there 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 are pastors and their husbands in the audience just like what i did there <laughs> yeah and uh but it, it's it's really interesting to me how many people will just walk up and say i'm a scientist i'm a buddhist i'm an atheist i'm an agnostic i'm uh what um you mean you i'm jewish i'm muslim i'm it's so interesting to me how 
And I've had friends come along with me and they're like, what in the, what is this crowd? <laughs> or uh, where was I a couple days ago doing something? And my friend who was there was like, how? Oh, I just, I just did a, a couple dates in Australia. And the organizer of the events in Australia was like, what was that crowd? That was like <laughs> tattoos and piercings crowd. Like, so he's, that was his, uh, that was his exact sort of, I didn't know who to expect would show up, but that was like a fascinating, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I've, I've never, I just never found any, uh, you know, people talk about, well, you know, what's your target demographic? And I'd always just respond human. It was <laughs> yeah. never interesting to me. And I was always, I've always been trying to, through my work and through my sermons, to create something that would speak to each person, whatever they needed to hear. Mm. So I, I wasn't aiming things for anybody. Uh, and my new book wasn't, I mean, I can think of like a person in a particular life situation and think, yeah, I hope this book helps them. But I don't, I didn't have like a demographic in mind. I was trying to be true to the thing I was making and trusting that if I, if I was true to it, it would find whoever it needs to find. Mm. Well, and I think that feeds into a comment you made on that on that particular Robcast, where you said when Martin Luther King Jr. gave his "I Have a Dream" speech, <laughs> no one yeah. in the crowd is thinking, "Well, he's been funnier," uh, or no one's <laughs> thinking, "Well, it's, it's going kind of long." You know, it's it's an event. It's a moment that you are either participating in or really you're standing outside of observing and casting yeah. judgment on. I feel like when when preaching is good, it is an event that people participate in. Absolutely. This is about all of us dancing with a much larger song. Um, and uh, yeah, for, for many people, they literally have to be you get the opportunity to reframe everything for them. You get to teach them a new way of interacting with the world. You, uh, and so as a communicator, then you, uh, your work is to figure out, like if you're at a local congregation, how do I help introduce these people to a whole new way of doing things and understanding things? Mm. And uh, yeah, that's part of the art of it. And you, uh, at, at our two-day in the Viper Room, you describe preaching in a way that, that I've described it before. Sometimes you go uh, and, and you sit with people that you respect, and it's not necessarily the things that you learn that bring you the most uh, joy and comfort, but when they say something that you felt like you know has been true for you. You talked about preaching being an exchange of energy. Uh, Absolutely. There's this give and take. Absolutely. And you will often notice the master communicators are in a conversation, even though only one of them is, only the communicator is talking. They are aware of what's happening in the room. They are moving energy around the room. And uh, some folks are at some level just, they're just up there talking. They're just mm -hmm. transmitting information. And uh, this is why as a, as a communicator, you are witnessing to the fullness of life that is overflowing from the depths of your own being. Mm. And for many people, they were taught this is about the transmission of information. There's a silver bullet. Just give people the silver bullet. And uh, I think I told when we were at Viper Room, 
my ordination was like a half day or a day long oral examination. And they asked me, what if we found a third Corinthians? Um, <laughs> Jesus says, I and the father are one. Then he says, I only do what the father tells me to do. How do you explain this uh, contradict seeming contradiction? Yeah. Uh, and what was really interesting is there was not one question about whether I'm a good husband about, Tell us about somebody who wronged you, who you have forgiven them. Mm. Uh, how do you spend your money? Um, there was no questions about how I actually live. So that's just a completely sick system mm. that would ask a bunch of questions about letters that were written thousands of years ago and ask not one question about how this gospel announcement has been incarnated in flesh and blood. So... Uh, to be a communicator and to help create space where people can hear a fresh word from spirit is to understand that you are the medium, mm. that it flows through your very cellular structure, your synapses, your memories, your wounds, your hopes, your joys, your euphoria, your pain, that this becomes incarnated in your flesh and blood and then flows out from you. So, uh, somebody giving me three Bible verses about forgiveness is nice. Um, anybody can do that, but somebody witnessing to the power of forgiveness in their own life, that's now, now that's somebody who has something to say. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and the sad thing is there are obviously communities where people will go and sit and listen to somebody who's just talking about stuff that they've read or they were taught in seminary or something. That's not a sermon. That's not preaching. That's not anything that I'm interested in. And so I think it's just important to talk about what is possible. It is possible to be the kind of person, to be the kind of person who actually has things to say to people about your own flesh and blood experience of grace, anger, redemption, frustration, hope, longing, loss. Now that's... That's compelling. One of the things that you shared with us while we were there at the Viper Room is this idea that that we happen to the room and that the entirety yeah. of our being and everything really comes into what we're doing. And, and, it, and it made me think the buzzword that gets often used with uh, young adult ministry, millennial ministry, is the word authenticity. And I'm wondering if it ties into what you've been talking about. So when people start talking about they need to be authentic, uh, what were they being? Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't, uh, so yeah, same thing. If someone uses the word relevant, then they probably aren't. Um, I don't know. That, that's just never, um, yes. To me, it would just be obvious. Yes, of course. We, um, you need to be who you are and to be authentic. Um, maybe it's just an indication of how far things have drifted that the word even has to be used. Um, because you think about the great artists or the great communicators, um, they didn't use that word because they just were being themselves. Um, that's probably a sad commentary on perhaps what's happened in certain communities. And so it's just time to change that. So maybe you do need to talk about it for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, part of it probably is that for many of people, spirituality as they were understood it was about a God who is good and they weren't given a way to understand what to do with all that doesn't appear very good. Mm. So 
for many of people, they were given a binary of good and bad and God is on the one side. And that leaves them not knowing what to do with all the things in life that don't appear very good. And the gospel invitation is to come to see the divine presence in all of life, to live with a non-dual awareness in which the presence of the divine is there in the good and the bad, in the moments when you're on top of the world and the moments when you're crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what happened to a, a whole world probably of spiritual leaders is the job was to get up on stage and be confident to have answers, to have it all together, to tell people where they're going and how they can know for sure where they're going, which is very different than witnessing witnessing to the divine presence in all of life, which means you are free. Uh, and oftentimes what happens is people have darkness and pain and wounds deep within them, and they don't know what to do with that darkness, so they just push it down farther, mm. which will always manifest itself in... Uh, a hypercritical, judgmental, shame-based, you'll have to create an enemy, those people over there, those people over there, those people who have lost their way. Um, But when you are willing to go into your own shadow and all the things that you are most terrified about, and you come to realize that all that, those places, the divine is found there too. Mm. Well, I mean, now you actually have something to say. Um, now you actually could help people. And that's interesting. Um, and too many leaders, I mean, the, the people who, who want to come here to LA and want to have a, you know, want to have a meal, want to talk. And the number of leaders that I meet with who are like, well, this is what I'm really going through. This is what's really happening. And they're a wreck. And they're for some reason in some sort of community where they're not free to live and explore and search and feel, um, and and uh, it's really really important that we call that out as an insidious, toxic, destructive way of living that doesn't do anybody. And then those folks often are supposed to stand up on a stage and tell the church that you know God is real and there's hope and peace right. when they're a wreck on the inside. Right. So part of it begins with a leader who has some courage and decides I'm not going to live this split life in which I pretend like everything's fine when it's not. It's often simply an issue of courage. And that reminds me of all the conversations that both I've, I've started and then had with colleagues where we start with, can I be honest? And it's like, right. <laughs> well, yes. And why, why weren't you being honest before? Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. I have not had a chance to read it yet, but uh, I would imagine that a lot of these topics are dancing around the core of your new book, How to Be Here, uh, which when this episode goes live will be just in a couple days. It comes out on March 8th. Uh, Do you want to tell us a little bit about this book and then maybe give us uh, uh, a way that we can read it with an eye towards preaching and teaching? Yeah. Oh, what a great question. Um, You know, for many people, the world is is fixed. It's static it's already been created. And so the fundamental image they have is you go out into the world and you find your place. But in uh, the ancient Hebrew consciousness, the world is unfinished. And we take part in the ongoing creation of the world. So the Adam and Eve story is a poem. The Bible begins with a poem. And in this poem, these people 
these characters that are representative of all of humanity, they're in this extraordinary, heartbreaking, exotic, mysterious, dangerous, beautiful, compelling world. And the, the poem raises the question, what, what kind of world are they going to create? What are they going to do with their lives? What are they going to do with these sacred, holy energy, energies they've been given? Mm. And uh, we each create our lives. And we have more power to create our lives than we realize. And even when horrible things come your way that you never, ever would have wished to come your way, how you respond to those events and tragedies and suffering is a fundamentally creative act. So when someone says, well, I'm just a mom, I'm just an accountant, I'm not creative. Creativity is at the, at the heart of creation. All of us are creating our lives. And I'm struck with how many people have a passive view of their life. Their life is something happening to them, which is very, very different from an understanding that your life is something that you are creating. What are you going to create? So uh, how to be here takes people through, you're going to create your life. So how are you going to create it? And what's in the way? And I uh, just take people through what I've learned about how to be present in your life so that you don't feel like your life is just passing you by. And a lot of people feel that way. They feel like their life, they're just skimming the surface of their life. They're out in the street talking to their neighbor, their cell phone's buzzing. They're remembering, did I leave the carrots on the stove? Oh, look, <laughs> there's a scratch on my bumper I didn't notice. They're all over the place. You go to lunch with somebody and they keep answering their phone. So they're here but not here. Uh, you meet somebody who has this thing they want to try, but they're afraid they're going to fail. So they're here in this life, but they're also wondering about, maybe I should try that. Um, and so they're here, but not here. They're uh, stuck in the past with some belief like they failed. And I just talk about how failure is overrated. And uh, yeah, so that's what it's about. And it's, man, oh man, I'm so excited for you to read it. Really exciting to have it coming out. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. And I, that's, you know, I, honestly, that's something I struggle with. I, I have the phone that's constantly buzzing, and I'm trying to do better about about turning it off. And, and my New Year's resolution this year is to consume less and process more. You, you just have a generation of people who weren't taught these things. And so we just feel like our life is passing us by and doesn't have to be that way. So that's what the book's about. I'm pretty excited about it. Well, I uh, would like to close in the couple minutes we have left. I have a set of questions that I like to ask all of our guests. Nice. And, and I'll ask them of you. And uh, the first one is sort of a two-sided coin. You can pick to uh, either one or both. Uh, is there uh, a particular sermon or a time that you've been uh, teaching or preaching that was particularly difficult for you? Or do you have a favorite preaching or teaching experience? Oh, good Lord. That's like a 20-year question. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, the list, the, I did a tour with Oprah last year that was unreal. The The best sermon I've ever heard was from Oprah on Surrender. And she did an hour and a half sermon where she sang a cappella in an arena, I surrender all, all to thee, my precious Savior. Unbelievable. Wow. And then I got to get up and preach after that. It was just, <laughs> it was like the mojo in the room. It was just awesome. So that was one of that. I mean, there's that, those highlights. Um, the other night, Pete Holmes and I did a show at Largo that was so strange and beautiful and unexpected. 
and uh, we were talking. Uh, yeah, I don't even know what the category to put that in, other than <laughs> my word. I get to do this. Yeah. Um, last summer's everything is spiritual tour. I feel like that was like a two-hour sermon on an expanding universe and what that means for the nature of our soul. And I feel like we went some really. I feel like the the art form of the sermon like we were taking it into some new places that was very, very satisfying and just brought me a ton of joy. Um, so yeah, those lists go long. And then I think of times when I was tired, I wasn't taught how to take care of myself. So it took me a number of years to understand how to have boundaries and how to care for myself. Because I realized when I was preaching that to preach and to keep preaching that some people preached because they had to say something because it was part of their job. Mm. And for me, the sermon and preaching was always because I had something to say. And when I got into this and started speaking a lot, I, it took me a long time to learn how, the disciplines and how to organize my life so that I wasn't scraping the bottom of the bucket every time I gave a sermon. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, and that for so many pastors, it's just trying to get that teaching together to pull it off Sunday. And then by Sunday night, it's done. But they're like, oh, man, I got to do it again next week. And I was like, I, I refuse to live like that. So, it's, so it, it was like a, you know, a decade, 15 years of working to figure out how to live in such a way that every single time I walked up to preach, I was like, let's do this. Oh, here we go. And uh, uh, so there, are, there were times when I was tired, really tired, like burned out, like adrenal gland shot, like bitter, um, nothing to give. And yet I had to get up and give a sermon. And those were really, really difficult days. Um, and uh, part of it in that pain, because we generally don't change without pain. Part of it was in that pain resolving, I don't want to live like this. Mm. And uh, so just setting out to change the change it to to find some other way to live. Uh, is there, is there yeah. any is there any practice or maybe posture towards the world around you that helped you be more open to take in more things and have more things to say? Yeah, I didn't, um, I didn't understand that the sermon is, it's a sacred thing and you have to arrange your life if you're going to have sermons around it. Mm. And you have to be willing to have really strong boundaries and, and, uh, you have to give it what it deserves. And most, I just met lots of pastors who don't get enough time to make their sermons great, but it is one of their main parts of their job. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So these people are hiring you to give great sermons, and it's at the top of the list of things you're to do so you have to protect your heart, your soul, even first and foremost, caring for yourself, exercise, good food, plenty of sleep. Um, 
if you're going to give great sermons, there's, there are other things you aren't going to be able to do. And the community is going to have to be okay with that. And part of it is just having the resolve to live according to your convictions and boundaries. And when people hear great sermons, they love them and they get it. Like, oh, for you to do that, you need certain things. Okay. Um, but it's just the resolve and the discipline and the intention to figure it out. And then this is not Thursdays for one hour. <laughs> right, uh, for right. Some people sit down, there's an empty word processing document, and they're trying to, like, reading some commentaries on the like, book of John and trying to come up with something. The art of the sermon is about becoming the kind of person who notices. You're moving a half step slower because you're simply seeing what other people are missing. And that's first and foremost the job, is simply to see what others are missing. And most people are moving too fast. They're passing burning bushes, but they're checking their texts. And your job is to stand in the midst of the community and witness to that which is on fire. And that means you have to be living the kind of life where you're actually seeing the extraordinary things happening all around us all the time. Mm. So uh, you have to confront the spirit of the age, which is to just keep moving faster and faster and faster and to be missing all that is happening all around you all the time. It's the great invitation of all spiritual life. And that's, that's just doing something different than spitting back Bible verses from Romans 9. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and one of the things that you've talked about on the Robcast before is learning the art of asking people questions uh, because it opens them up to yeah. tell their story. And especially during your series on politics and guns or politics in general, we're, we're in the middle of you know the primary season and it'll be the, the full-on election season soon. When you, when you bump up against people that that would sort of naturally be labeled your enemy. You you mm-hmm. talked about being able to ask questions to open them up, and it it uh, it gives you better compassion for them, and it also helps them see that people actually care. <laughs> yeah, so many people are so obsessed with their own judgment of things. What did you think of that? Well, you know, I wouldn't want them to think that I was condoning that. Where did you get the idea? <laughs> Well, I love that line when people are like, well, I wouldn't want them to think that I condone that. Where did you get the idea that anybody cares what you <laughs> condone or don't condone? It's just yeah. such arrogance. Uh-huh. And especially when you're interacting with somebody who you're like, I cannot believe this person is this stupid. You, or what an idiot. Or, oh my word, how ignorant. You don't need to make judgments. You can just enter in. Tell me why you think that. How do you understand that? Where do you think that comes from? Why do you think people feel that way? What are experiences that brought you to this conviction? If you're serious about the art of the sermon, then you're endlessly asking questions because you find this interesting. You find people interesting. You're learning. You're growing. That's what you're doing. And uh, that's just a much better way to live. It's much more interesting. Our next general question is, who have been some of the most impactful preachers or communicators in your life, uh, even non-preacher communicators? Eddie Izzard, 
the British comedian who mm-hmm. dresses like a woman. <laughs> uh, secondly, Peter Garrett, the lead singer of Midnight Oil. Mm. Deeply shaped me. Thirdly, Ellen DeGeneres. She has an HBO comedy special that just changed the game for me. Um, when I saw her, what she did in this special, how it was structured, the cadences, the emotional resonance. I don't know if it was storyboarded or how she, the structural callbacks, the, the just the fine-tuning of the pacing, the bandwidth that she moved sonically, uh, just, just, I mean, it hurts me even to think of that level of awesome. So, uh, there have been Charles Adams is a preacher from Detroit who did a sermon on Martin Luther King day in the late eighties called all things are yours. That sermon changed the game for me. Uh, it taught, it showed me what might be possible. Uh, when I was first starting out, my mentor was a man named Edward G Dobson and I hadn't uh, he introduced me to the idea of structural integrity that a communication and a sermon has to be undergirded by an airtight structure and that structure actually breeds spontaneity. So everything I, I do has a very, very, very airtight structure to it, which then frees me to go all over the place. Um, and the people who are just like, well, I'm just going to see what happens in the moment. Uh, <laughs> You work really, really, really hard so that it appears like you're just talking. Yeah. That's how it works. And uh, so those are, those are people who have influenced me huge. The last general question for you, what books have been influential on your approach to preaching or communicating, or just in general, what books are really getting you going lately? Wow, that's a great, great question uh let me look here at my shelf a uh, robert farrar capon c-a-p-o-n his work uh has just meant the world to me and then uh let me just move my microphone here uh the jps torah commentary is absolutely amazing for some of the roots of the hebrew um Alexander Shia has a book called The Hidden Power of the Gospels. Actually it's called Heart and Mind now. Shia S H I A I. That that book was just oh my word, just incredible. Um Stephen King has a book called On Writing which is really 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 helpful for thinking about communicating. And then Brian Eno has a book called A Year with Swollen Appendices. <laughs> which is uh, just a year in his life of creating, which was really, really helpful for me. And then, uh, man, there, an uh, Anglican bishop named John Robinson wrote a book in 1962 called Honest to God, which was a total, oh my word, just unbelievable what that book did to me. Um and then, uh, what else? I could go on all day. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking, I have a bookshelf up above my head, and I'm uh, looking at because I've kept some of the books that have most impacted me. But um, amazing. 
There's a photographer named Scott Schumann who has a couple of books. He's called The Sartori List, and he just takes pictures of people on the streets of cities. And it's one of the, it's a really moving what he does. He just takes pictures of people, but you can't help but be moved by what it means to be human when you look at his work. Mm. And I, uh, somehow he has, he has influenced how I think about things. So there, there's, there's some stuff. That's great. Random, say the least. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if folks want to say hi or follow what you are doing nowadays, you've got the new book coming out. I know you'll be going out on a tour for that new book. If folks want to keep up with what you're doing, what's the best way for them to follow you? Yes, we are going all over the world for this book. So uh, robbell.com has all tour dates. Where to get info on tour dates. There are downloads of Largo shows. There's the podcast, which is a couple episodes a week. Uh, Elizabeth Gilbert is coming up next week, and uh, so we go. And then uh, real Rob Bell on Instagram. Well, Rob, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. We're a brand new podcast, but y- your support and being here today means just the world to me. My pleasure. Well, thank you so much for joining me for episode 11 of Art of the Sermon. And before our typical outro stuff, I have a very special announcement. You might remember our guest from January, Reverend Sarah Heath. She's a pastor, an artist, and an actress. And recently, she was cast and shot an episode of the online web series, Chuck Knows Church. The episode that she appears in goes live on Monday, March 14th, 2016. So head on over to chuckknowschurch.com on or after March 14th and check out Sarah in action. And now on to our outro. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show and our interviews, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they go live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Our next episode is scheduled to go live on March 17th, 2016, where we'll reflect and build on our conversation with Rob Bell. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.